Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. They were more concerned about, I want you to know what I think of you, than they were concerned about the church being united together. Friends, as a pastor and as a believer, for crying out loud, forget me being a pastor, just a believer, my my top priority is that everybody in this church gets along and we have unity. So when that skeptic comes in here, he goes, man, you are the real thing. But for the person that comes in here and they've made it their goal to express their opinion of what they think of you and how I don't like this and I don't like that, they're not thinking about the unity of the body because they got some of these bad character traits in the way. So guys, let's follow Peter's direction. It's the Lord's guide for us to be successful in spreading the gospel message in a way that people don't see us as that hypocritical church. Let us desire like young children to milk. I want that. They see the bottle, they go crazy. They want it. You should see God's word and go, I need more of that. You should read that Bible when you get home today. You should read it through the week. Do not let your only biblical content come out of me once a week. You better be getting more than just me. <laughs> we don't want a hypocritical church. Desire it. First Peter 2 and 3. Desire it if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, or some will say that the Lord is good. Peter stated that God's grace tastes good. You know, when something tastes good, you want it. Oh, here comes the watermelon story. I can feel it now. Yeah, you got it. It's the best illustration I got. I hate watermelon, and I'm going to use it. (laughs) There's a lot of things that taste really, really good to me, like brisket. Y'all know that, especially my brisket. I don't go to restaurants and buy brisket anymore. I can outsmoke them any day, okay? I love my brisket. And most of y'all know there's things that do not taste good to me, and that would be watermelon. I cannot stand that stuff. And y'all always bring it to every potluck we have just to have fun with me. (laughs) The one that laughed the loudest brought me a stick of watermelon. Here, Ray, and I took it and I, I took a bite of it just to show her. I hated it, but I took a bite. I don't like watermelon. I don't even bother looking at it when I'm at the grocery store. I don't even want to see it. I don't like it. Why even bother with it if it doesn't taste good? That's the way I see it. If it doesn't taste good, don't Don't put it on my plate. Don't bring it into my house. Watermelon's evil. You remember that TV show about military ammunition and stuff? The guy used to blow up watermelons. I loved watching that show. But most people continue to consume what does not taste good. Why would they do that? Why would I eat something that makes me sick? Why would I swallow something down that I cannot stand the taste of it? These people, they constantly choke on things that don't taste good. They're always consuming malice. They're always consuming deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. For some reason, they just keep eating it because it's all they know. 
And why they eat that stuff, I have no idea. Why y'all eat watermelon is beyond me. But why people eat these bad character traits, they keep stuffing themselves with this stuff all their days of their life. Why would you eat that? When you give them the good news of salvation in Jesus and they actually taste it, they love it. It tastes good. But they still don't get the full effect of it because they're still chewing on bad stuff. I've given the gospel to people and they're like, yeah, that sounds great, but they're still chewing on the bad things. Let me give you an example. Imagine if I ate brisket and watermelon at the same time. That's not going to taste good. But it's brisket. But there's watermelon in with the brisket. Nobody eats watermelon and brisket at the same time. If any of you do, please don't put your hand up. Say, oh, I do that. I don't want to hear it. That is disgusting. Why would you do that? Eat one or the other, not both. Eat one or the other. Don't eat them at the same time. So no watermelon. I have to cut sinful watermelon out of my life. Evil, wicked watermelon is gone. (laughs) But I will eat brisket all day long because it tastes good. Peter said that the grace of Jesus tastes good. He says it's very delicious, but that's only if you have indeed tasted it. You know those grocery store people that offer the free samples? And the reason they're doing that is because they're, tr- they're just hoping that you will just try it. Because if you will just try it, you might actually like it. And if you like it, you'll want more. And that's what we're doing with the gospel. Friend, just try Jesus. Just give it a try. You might actually like it. Now, a lot of people think they're saved because they've heard the gospel story somewhere before, but they didn't take it in. They took the gospel story like the grocery store saying, guy saying, hey, come try this, but they kept walking. They didn't even give it a shot. How many times have you walked by a free sample and you didn't want it? Okay, maybe you would have liked it. Friends, we're trying to give you the gospel of Jesus that tastes good. Try it. You might actually like it. The grace of Jesus is like a, how do I put it? The grace of Jesus is like a brisket buffet. Have you ever seen a brisket buffet? I haven't. But what if there was one? That's what it would be like. And you can eat all of it absolutely free. Now, that's even better. You don't even have to pay for it. When I smoke my own brisket, when I take it off the pit, Anna is standing right there at the table. I mean, when I pull that butcher paper back and that, that steam comes off and you're finally getting to see, she's like, give me a piece, give me a piece. And the dogs are on the floor saying the same thing. Give me a piece. You know, they want, they're eager. They're wanting it. Friends, we have to be eager like that. Are you eager for the Word of God? Does, does the Word of God get to you like this? It should. Imagine somebody taking meat off the pit, and they said, Hey, Ray, I just took this off the pit and come get some. And I said, Nah, I'm good eating this watermelon over here. How many of you would not flip upside down if you knew me to do that? I don't need your brisket. I'm having a good time with watermelon. How ridiculous would that be? It's about as ridiculous as people who say they're a Christian, but they would rather gorge themselves on sin, these bad character traits, than pursue God's Word. That's how ridiculous that looks. Don't let sinful habits get in the way of God's Word. Let us be eager, very eager, like I got to have a piece of that, or all of it. (laughs) Let's be eager for God's Word like we want it. 
It's very few people I know of in the Christian world this day uh, that I have seen that's very eager about the Word of God, that I catch them always at it. It's, it's kind of rare. We should be very eager, but how eager should we be? Peter explains in First Peter 2 and 4, says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, this coming to him that Peter said here, it's not the first, re- he's not talking about the first reaction of a sinner that first got saved by Jesus. You know, when a sinner first gets saved, they come to Jesus. What a wonderful moment. Okay, you should be coming to Jesus every day. If you've been saved for 20, 30 years, you should be coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus like this, like he's talking about. This is somebody who has a relationship with Jesus, has been walking with the Lord, loves Jesus so much that it becomes their desired habit. Is Jesus your habit? Is Jesus the way you do things? The way I do things is Jesus. I had a coworker before I was doing ministry. He came in my office with a problem. He started talking to me about this problem. I said, well, you know, the Bible says, oh, don't give me that Bible stuff, Ray. That's what he said. I said, I'm sorry, that's the way I do things. If you want my help, we're going to this Bible. If not, I have nothing to say to you. Is Jesus your habit? Is he the way you do things? So Peter used visual imagery to make an illustration as if somebody was building up a house made out of stones. Okay, because a lot of people built houses out of stones at the time. You get a bunch of stones and you put them together. You, You don't leave them spread out. You can't live in that. You have to bring them in. They have to assemble. You know, there's a lot of people that don't go to church because it's not something fun to them. They don't desire it. Ah, you don't have to go to church to be saved, they say. No, you bring them together, and it's like a church. You fit them all together to build it up. Now, some stones are higher up the wall than others. Some stones are lower. Some stones are lower because they function more of a foundational purpose than the stones that are up top. Now, it's crazy to think of a foundation stone being envious of a wall stone. Or what if a window stone was envious of a roof stone when different stones serve different purposes? So what I'm getting at is that we should fill the purpose where God has placed us because God knows where we fit better than we do. Peter's given this illustration of stones being brought together to build a house. So he said, Peter referred to Jesus as a living stone, but the men rejected him because such people refuse to be built up in God's house. They'd rather be out doing their own thing. They don't want to be part of the assembly. But this stone is living. It is a living being. It's Jesus Christ. And we are also living stones with him, which means that even though the world hates and rejects us, we can take our comfort in the fact that we are built up into a solid structure in Jesus Christ. When people call you names, when people insult you, make you feel less than you are, you don't have to listen to that language. That's Satan talking to you. You listen to what the Lord says you are, and you remember, I'm built up in Jesus Christ. I don't have to listen to this kind of talk, okay? Peter is also going to further explain his metaphor about these stones in 1 Peter 2 and 6. He says, there it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, that's Jesus, see, it's personifying him, 
and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Like I was just saying, people are putting you to shame, cutting you down. I don't identify with that. I don't have to listen to that kind of language. I am built up in Christ. I identify with that. So be encouraged no matter what people are saying about you, okay? Know who you're being built up with, Jesus Christ. Peter, he did some slick maneuvering here. A lot of people really didn't believe this new stuff, this new Christian message, because the first century church was teaching very different from what people already understood, okay? So Peter reached back into Old Testament passages. You, you see how the sentence structure changed. It, it, it wasn't all played out in a long sentence. It was stacked because it was taken from something that Isaiah said. He reached back to the Old Testament that they already understood, Isaiah 28 and 16. He was quoting the prophet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Friends, I know the world doesn't look very sure out there. It looks all messed up. The government's doing this, and oh, if we could just elect our guy, but then the other party says, if we could just elect our guy, and it swings back and forth every time. People go nuts. Okay, that's not sure. Don't place your faith and hope in that. You place your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ because he is sure. He is a sure foundation. He's not moving. He's not going anywhere. But whenever you build a structure, the first stone that you lay down is going to be the cornerstone. And wherever you set that first cornerstone, that is going to dictate that one wall is going to run this way and another wall is going to run that way. Have you ever seen a cornerstone on a building? It's at the bottom. It's on the corner. It looks different. They probably etched the date on it, uh, you know, 1938 or whatever. They, they, it's a cornerstone that started where the, the building is going to be set at. But the cornerstone is first. The cornerstone is the first thing. It is first. Jesus Christ should be first in your life. It is first. The cornerstone sets the position. It sets the direction, and it sets the tone of how this building is going to be. And it also establishes the security of how solid that building is going to stand on that foundation. Friends, Jesus serves the same function for all of Christianity. He is first. He has set the position the direction, and he has set the tone of how the kingdom of God is going to be for us. And he's our secure foundation. Guys, I could not sleep at night if I did not know, biblically know, that Jesus is my secure foundation because everything else going on is a cotton-picking mess. Jesus is a sure foundation. Keep your mind on him. Focus with your faith on him. He is our secure foundation. It means the rest of us are going to be built upon him. We're stones built on him, and you're going to be a different stone than me. I'm placed in my spot. You're going to be placed in your spot. Don't drive envy out of that. Well, I wish I was uh, where you are. I wish I was that stone. No, you're where you needed to fit, where God needed to place you. We're all stones being built on him. We don't worry about everything else going on. Our rock is Jesus Christ. Make him your priority today, and you watch how he blesses your life. We're not built on the foundation of money. We're not built on the foundation of government or anything else but the rock of Jesus Christ. Friends, am I making the point? Jesus should be your your foundational point, your place of focus. He'll take care of everything. Don't worry about all this craziness going on in the world. Trust in the Lord God. He'll get you through every bit of it, okay? We trust in Jesus like a building rests on its founding cornerstone, knowing that we will never be.
be put to shame ever. First Peter 2, 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. These two verses here, they present the best contrast between those who believe in Jesus for real and those who don't. I usually throw this verse at people when they want to know where they're at, whether they're real believers or not. You keep this verse handy. You can show them where they stand. Fake Christians I put up against this verse because it'll show you who you really are. Now, to those who believe, Peter says, if you truly believe in Jesus for real, he will be precious to you. You remember Gollum in that movie, Lord of the Rings, my precious. He wanted that ring. He had to have that ring. Everything drove him about that ring. Everything should drive you about Jesus. Precious to you. Guys, I know your wife is precious to you. You will fight for her. You will always want to be with her. And her being precious will cause her to want to spend time. You'll want to spend time with her and serve her. You know, people, you don't have to go to church to be saved. Well, I guess the Lord is not very precious to you. If it's precious to you, you'll want to do everything about him. So you'll spend all your time with your wife. You'll serve her and do everything. But if you're at hypocritical Walmart (laughs) and you see some woman you don't even know, she's not going to be precious to you because you don't even know her. You're going to walk along and who cares so what? So somebody's on an aisle, no big deal, didn't pay her no mind. I'm going on about my day, didn't think the first thing about her. A lot of people treat the church like that. Oh, there's another church, so what? On about my day. It's not precious to you. When Jesus is precious to you, you will desire him. You will want to do what he commands. You will want to pursue him and spend time with him. That's what precious is. Is Jesus precious to you? Is he like this to you, the way I'm trying to illustrate to you? If he is, then you're probably a true believer. But then Peter takes this verse and he flips it upside down the other way. And he says, but to those who are disobedient, meaning you don't really care to do what Jesus says. Jesus is not a priority to you. He's not somebody you desire to know or serve. Then you are one of those who has rejected that chief cornerstone. He doesn't really matter. He's optional. And in verse 8, Jesus has actually become a stone of stumbling and offense. What does that mean, stumbling and offense? You know those people, when you merely bring up the name of Jesus, they get all upset about it. They trip over Jesus because Jesus offends them. I was at a restaurant with a friend of mine. We were talking about motorcycles, and we were talking at some level of tone of voice, and somehow I found a way to put a Jesus spin in there, and I said, oh, that's kind of like Jesus when he went over to, and my friend goes, he leaned forward at the table. He goes, do you realize you're talking very, very loud? I said, I'm not talking any louder than we were when we were talking about motorcycles. What's the deal? He goes, no, you're talking real loud where people can hear you. I said, they could hear us talk about motorcycles. This guy didn't like it. It was offensive to him. Jesus will cause such people to stumble and fall. He is a rock of offense. Suddenly people, that you talk that Jesus thing, all of a sudden they get all bent up. Now, Peter was talking about these, there were chief priests and Pharisees. They hated Jesus so much that they chose their high positions over doing what Jesus told them to do. And so they fell. He wasn't just a rock of offense. He was a stumbling block and they fell. They tripped over him and they fell 
they ended up condemned. Second Peter verses 7 and 8 tells you which side of the fence you stand on. All disobedient unbelievers are destined for what the Bible calls a stumbling, which is a fatal fall of eternal condemnation. And Peter said that those who stumble were also appointed, appointed for this. Now, I'm going to tag into what Peter just said in, in chapter 1 about people were saved according to the foreknowledge of God before the Lord even made the earth. He set up the plan for your salvation. He had foreknowledge of your belief, so he set everything up to draw you in to salvation. But likewise, those who are appointed for stumbling, God had foreknowledge of their rejection, just like he had foreknowledge of our belief. And so they were appointed to stumble. Friends, if Jesus offends you, I hope you get right with him very soon. I just say, choose today who you'll serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 1 Peter 2 and 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. (laughs) We proclaimed his praises in here a little bit ago. I was up here with two other people, and y'all were all singing. Oh, that was a good one. We're supposed to proclaim his praise. In contrast to unbelievers who are destined for destruction, Peter reminded the believers they had now been brought into the royalty of God's kingdom. Did you know if you're a believer in Jesus, you're royalty? royalty. You are royalty, for royalty beyond any kings on this earth. And a believer is supposed to proclaim the praises of God who saved us. Proclaim means you talk about it publicly. Proclaim. Ray, you realize you're talking really loud. Oh, I'm sorry. I was talking about Jesus. I'm sorry. Proclaim. That doesn't mean you go beat him over the head with your Bible, but proclaim in some kind of way. I'll tell you right now, those bully groups that are out there pushing their agenda, they are proclaiming. If they have the right to proclaim their agenda, I have the right to proclaim the praises of Jesus Christ. As loud as they're hollering, we should be hollering all the more, shouldn't we? Let people hear you. In the next passages that we're going to get into some other time, in the following passages, Peter's going to explain how we proclaim our Lord and Savior, not by having a big loud mouth or by shouting at everybody, but more so you proclaim by how you live. We're going to proclaim by how we live and how we behave. But in order to proclaim Jesus properly, You first have to repent of your old, bad, sinful habits and scrape the junk off our lives before it clogs up the whole church. If you've truly tasted that the Lord is good, you will want to proclaim his praise. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Isn't that good? He tastes good. Go tell everybody. I proclaim that brisket is good and watermelon should be destroyed. I proclaim Jesus is good and these bad traits should be eliminated from our lives. Then we're going to have a good functioning church. Amen. you for listening to set for life we hope you can join us next time unless jesus returns for us first 
Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.